0: reading comes from the book of Acts chapter 16 verses 11 through 15. So setting sail from Troas we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and the Roman colony. We remained in this city some days And on Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Well, we're here continuing in uh, ministry Sundays and we are um, trying to um, shine some light on some of the ministries that we've been doing and some of the ministries that we are starting. And today, uh, we're focusing here on women's ministry um we've been doing women's ministry for the past several months now i think overall it's been pretty good pretty done pretty well uh grace has been helping me uh lead that and uh you know i just go there to start off a good conversation and a discussion and uh leave it to them to kind of um, do their thing um so i'm i'm here to talk about women's ministry a little bit from the bible but then i realized you know there isn't anything in the bible about doing a women's ministry um, it's, not, it's not something commanded, right? And so why do we do it? And I think, for me, one of the reasons we do it is, one, it's just another resource for, for the ladies. I mean, you don't have to go if you don't want to, but, you know, I think in some ways you miss out. Um, but the other thing is, I mean, I'm not going to be just very honest. This is just my opinion. Um, we've got a lot of strong women in our church. We've got a lot of strong sisters. Uh, in fact, my opinion is, Even when I think about marriages that I've done in the past like 10 years, I would probably say the wife is a lot stronger than the brothers. Uh, Even in my own experience, um, I used to think I was strong, but I've learned that my wife is actually a lot stronger than me. So um, it's just, we have a lot of energy there, and I think it's great to try and harness that energy to be more productive and fruitful and um, beneficial, not only to the sisters, but to the church, and so that's why we're looking at women's ministry and we'll continue to do this. Okay, so here we are, uh, <clears throat> we're in the second half of the book of Acts, and what we find here is this is the beginning of the early church. Jesus Christ has died, rose again, and now Paul, the missionary, right, is going out and he's sharing this message about Jesus Christ and he's starting churches. He's starting churches from Asia and onward. And we're here, we find Paul. He's on what we call the second missionary journey. They've just finished up visiting this church in Galatia. And so Paul's plan was to go further west and and basically get into new territory uh, for for Christianity. And he wanted to go uh, further into Asia because there are great cities there. Eventually, I think he does. Philadelphia, Sardis, Theatria, Ephesus, These are all churches in the book of Revelations, right, that Paul visited, um, or started even. And so Paul wanted to go west, uh, because he's coming from the east, so he's already been there, and um, to go south was water, right, if you knew the geography of the Middle East, the south was just water, so he figured he'd go west, where there were some of these famous cities that were located, but for some reason, we're told that in this chapter that they couldn't go west. And so Paul comes up with plan B, and he says, well, you know, you can't go south, you can't go east. Norwest, so you go north, you go north, right? North from where they were. And they said, well, let's go to this city called Bithynia. We'll go there and see what's there. And in verse 7, we're told in this chapter that they couldn't go there either. So plan B is down the drain. You ever want to do something in life, and you figure the best way to do it is the straightest way, so you have this plan, but things just don't seem to be working out. It seems like God's closing doors. And so Paul, he doesn't give up. He's persistent. It's persistent, and God had other plans for him. So they, they, they pass over the city, Bithynia, and they move further in north, and they end up in this place called Troas. And in our passage that Sam just read for us, um, he says there that they go to Troas, and from Troas they go to Macedonia. They're going north and they go to Macedonia. Macedonia, in contemporary terms, is Greece. Now where is Greece, if you know your geography, what continent? is Greece. Greece is in Europe. Greece is in Europe. The gospel, Christianity, through Paul, was moving into new territory, and now they're in the continent of Europe. Because prior to that, all this time, Christianity uh, in its early stages was essentially a Middle Eastern religion, But now, it's moving beyond its boundaries, and it's no longer just a Middle Eastern thing. Now it's going into Europe. And so in Macedonia, now Europe, particularly in Greece or um, Asia Minor at the time, they even end up in a town, a small town, a colony called Philippi. And in verse 13, uh, we're told in our passage that on the Sabbath day, Paul on the Sabbath day Went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. You see, what's interesting here is that Paul's normal way of starting something in a new territory and sharing the gospel was to wait for the Sabbath to come, Jewish Sabbath, right? And when the Sabbath would come, he would go to the synagogue, and when they would come out, he would try and talk to the people. But here, the first thing here is that in this little town called Philippi, there aren't any synagogues. And to build a synagogue, they usually said you need a what they call a minium, 10 men to build a synagogue, right? But apparently, Paul's not finding any men. There are no men. As far as I can tell, there weren't any men. So who's there? And in our passage in verse 13, Luke tells us that there's a bunch of women sitting by the riverside. So what does Paul do? He goes to them. Think about this, okay? Here's Paul. He's trying to do a great thing for God. He's trying to spread the gospel into foreign territory, a new continent, Europe, maybe start a church, maybe a few churches, but there aren't any guys around. It's nothing but a group of women. And they're sitting around probably just praying by the river. Basically, what we see here is this. Paul is going to a, a small women's group, and he's going to start a new church with them. The gospel spreads into Europe with basically a woman's Bible study. And these women, they were exiled Jews. There weren't, there weren't any men around. We're not even told of anyone. No one's husband was around. But these faithfully met. They set aside this place. They made it a place of prayer. And Paul starts ministering with them. You know what I hear, especially today in our culture and in our country is that, you know, I don't like the Bible. I don't like Christianity because it's such a patriarchal thing. It's such a male-dominated thing. Because back in those days, it's such a a, a, you know very chauvinistic thing. And and there's so many things about women in the Bible that just, just doesn't jive with me today. And if you think like this, if you've heard this, let me just say this. It's right. At least partially right. In Paul's day, um, It is a male-dominated society. It was a very patriarchal society, right? Um, For example, some, some people thought back in those times, whether you talk about Greek women or Roman women, any kind of women, they were treated as slaves. So for example, right, in certain Jewish circles, if a husband didn't like his breakfast that his wife made, he had the right to kill her. He had a right to do away with her. Here's another one. Um, No woman, no wife, had a right to change her religion apart from her husband's. That's what they believed. In fact, if you were a Pharisee, a Jewish religious leader. You've heard the famous prayers that they always pray. They pray things like this. God, I thank you that I am neither a Gentile nor a slave. I thank you that I'm not a woman. Right? So it's hard. I get it. It's hard not to see the Bible and Christianity influenced in some way with this patriarchy. It's influenced by sort of this male-dominated culture. But having said that, whatever you think about that, I just want to say that if you read the Bible carefully, in that kind of culture, maybe there was some influence there, but in that kind of culture, there are a lot of things and a lot of places in the Bible that you would not want to put in there if you were part of that culture completely. Because the problem here uh, in Paul's time was that a lot of people were coming to Christianity for the first time. And most of them were women. So many women were converting to Christianity, a religion that Paul said, in Jesus Christ, there is no male or female. Where they believed that a woman could come to Jesus Christ and sit at his feet like Mary did. And be independent of her husband's desires. And so in the early Christian days, a lot of sisters, a lot of women were getting saved. And because of that, it was a problem because a lot of husbands were getting uptight. Friends would go to the husband and say, hey, I heard your wife join that Christian thing over there. You got no control over your woman, huh? They couldn't handle that during their day. And so that was their culture. And so you might think that, well, okay, I'm not going to listen to what Paul says because he was probably a male chauvinist. He probably just expected women to stay at home, feed the kids, and do the dishes. But far, far from it. Paul wants to spread the gospel. He goes into uncharted territory, and the first people he wants to start with are the ladies, the women. And as you get into our text today in verse 14, the first lady that Paul meets, and we've heard this one before, her name is Lydia. Lydia, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. Let's look at Lydia. Okay, let's look at this one example of the ladies that Paul meets. Um, you already know this. I, I've, I've seen this passage or talked about this passage before. Her name is Lydia, but Lydia is also the name of the area that she came from. Lydia was Lydian. Lydia was from Lydia, okay? And Lydia was a place in Asia Minor, basically Asia, okay? In a city called Theatera, uh, now known today as Turkey, okay? Turkey, part of it's in Europe, but back then part of it was in Asia Minor. But in other words, Lydia is Asian. Lydia is an Asian lady, basically. And Lydia, she didn't sit around home waiting for her husband to come. She was a businesswoman. She sold, we're told, purple goods. That tells us something, uh, because this Asian lady isn't selling cabbage on the street corner somewhere trying to make ends meet. The town where she was from was famous for their purple dye, it was expensive. To get the purple dye, they had to extract it drop by drop from a little shellfish called a murex. They had to catch the shellfish, and then they had to extract it drop by drop. It was a tedious and very expensive process, and so it was very expensive to buy. So expensive, this purple dye, that only the super-rich right, could, could get it. Only the super-rich could afford the purple dye for their clothes, and that's why If you've ever seen kings or queens or even in the church, uh, you see royalty wearing purple because they forwarded. it. It was royalty. And here's this Asian lady, Lydia, and she's selling the stuff. She's selling it. She is doing well. She is raking it in. Right? To put it in contemporary terms, basically, she's a fashion designer who has her own store selling beautiful, expensive clothes to rich, good-looking, upper-class citizens. And later on, if you keep reading this passage, she owns a huge house because she's inviting a lot of people to come over, maybe a penthouse in Seoul. I don't know, but more on that later. But she's a business lady. She's an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur of her day. She was what maybe some of us might call a sugar mommy, right? She's got it all together, this Lydia. And we're told here in this passage, here's this guy Paul, and he's preaching about something. And in verse 14, it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she believes. She becomes a Christian, and I want you to notice something here, that after she becomes a Christian, God or Paul, none of them said to her, okay, now that you're saved, you got to get rid of your business, you got to go home, and you got to do the dishes and take care of the kids. He doesn't say that. I think God loves an enterprising woman. I think he wants women to be as creative and enterprising as she can possibly be. So how does the gospel then get to this kind of person? Verse 14, the Lord opens her heart to pay attention to what Paul says. You know the words pay attention here? It doesn't just mean to just listen carefully. The word here in the Greek means she was drawn to, she was attracted to. It's the same word, pay attention, is the same word that Timothy or Paul uses in 1 Timothy to describe someone who's addicted to wine. They were drawn to this wine. They were paying attention to it this way. She was drawn to what Paul had to say. So this basically well-rounded, successful businesswoman, we're not even told if she has a husband or not, who sells beautiful clothes to attractive rich people, she finds something attractive in Paul's gospel. You know, there's a narrative out there today about Christianity and, in fact, other religions in general that the only reason people want to believe in Christianity or religion is because you have to believe in that stuff because you need to, right? It's a crutch, It's a way to explain why bad things happen and why you're going through such a hard time. It's a crutch for people, and that's why they need to believe in Christianity, because of their circumstances. Something terrible is happening, and so they need something to lean on, to survive, to be comforted, just to make it through. But look at Lydia. Not Lydia. Not Lydia. She doesn't need a crutch. Her life wasn't so bad, as far as we know. He's not saying, I need to believe in what Paul's telling me, uh, the story of good because my life is not good. No, her life is pretty great. But the difference, I think, for Lydia was that for her, the Christian story sounded better. In other words, verse 14 is not just saying, well, she just kind of believed what Paul was preaching about. Verse 14 is saying, she found in what he had to say Something that drew her, something that was more attractive than what she had. The Lord opens her heart to pay attention. Now, here's the question you should be asking. In verse 14, we're already told that she worshiped God. Verse 14, that's what it says. Met a name, woman named Lydia who was a worshiper of God. She was already religious. She described, She's described as a God-fearer. She already had uh, was a, a religious, decent kind of person. She's already familiar with God, okay? So the question is, if she already believes in God, then why does Paul say that God had to open her heart to believe? Wasn't her heart already open? And I think Paul says, does this, or I think Luke says this, is because what she knew and believed about God was just not enough. Not enough. A lot of people can talk about God. A lot of people are familiar with God. Maybe they even can quote some Bible. A lot of churches can talk about God and tell you to, therefore, be good and live a godly life. But unless you have the message that Paul is sharing, this message we call the gospel of Jesus Christ, Unless they understand the good news, get that into their vocabulary and into their minds and hearts, Paul's saying, Luke is saying, they haven't gone far enough. They've come short. Lydia was someone who already believed in God, found something different and attractive in the message that Paul shares. Think about this. Every religion says, you've got to do this. You've got to be like this. It's about doing the right thing. Every other religion talks about doing the right thing in order to measure up. If you do the right thing, then you will reap the benefit. Then you will be blessed. If you do the right thing, then you will get into or you will earn some kind of blessing, some kind of heaven, some kind of enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. If you do this, then you will really live. But if you don't do this, you will be punished. Everyone was talking like this, even early Christianity maybe. And so here's Lydia, and she was already believing in God, and she's living like this. She's trying to be good, trying to live by the laws of the Old Testament, trying to be moral, but then here comes Paul and this message about this gospel and this person, Jesus, and she hears that the blessings we get aren't earned by us, but Jesus already earned it when he went to the cross. That the punishment we deserve is already taken. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he took it for us. He gets punished, so we get grace. Simple message, but it was so different from what Lydia was used to. It was more than just believing in God and trying to be a good person. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Lydia found attractive. That's the message the successful, God-fearing woman was drawn to. You know, when you become a Christian, I, oftentimes you think, for many of us, especially who grew up in the church, when you become a Christian, we kind of—it's a letdown because you hear stories about miraculous conversion. Something happened, a miracle happened, an experience took place, and all of a sudden they became super Christian and so on and so forth. But most of us are probably like Lydia, kind of familiar already with everything, doing pretty well in life, even successful and just hear something, hears something, and gets drawn to it. That's how she became a Christian. Like Lydia, maybe you are at some level quite successful in life. Maybe you, like Lydia, was highly educated. Maybe you have a higher-paying job. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. Maybe some of us, uh, our business is dealing with people who make a lot more money than we do. We deal with the super risk, just like Lydia And in many ways, you're blessed. And like Lydia, maybe you believe in God. But if you don't understand the message of Paul, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're still living under this, I've got to do this in order to be good. I've got to do this in order to be blessed or accepted or loved. If you're still living like this, you're still living under the law. You might go to church. You might believe in God. But unless you believe in the message of the gospel, unless you belong to a church that has this gospel, maybe you haven't gone far enough. Maybe you've come short. Maybe you're a God-fearer, but maybe you're still not a Christian. And so we hear it. We need to hear it. We need to listen. We need to learn. Because here's the thing about Lydia. She was a rich, successful businesswoman who was always a God-fearer, a God-worshipper, but still for her, something was still missing. She had all the blessings in the world. And for us, many of us, unfortunately, sometimes the blessings we have in this world get in the way of the things that God says we should be looking out for. For many of us, and and maybe for Lydia, sometimes the gifts that we live for and work for draws us away from the giver. And we find ourselves so easy to do, to, to just end up living more for the immediate, temporary blessings, waiting for the next one more than just enjoying and living for the one who gives the blessings. You know, it's ironic. Uh, in our country, most of us here, we should be more thankful, if we think about it. We should be more grateful because of what we've been given already. We should be more led to God, but instead we get drawn away. Our time, our effort, our finance, our strengths, they, they all go towards maintaining and maintaining more of the gifts, more of the blessings And we forget the giver, who ought to be the most blessed thing in our lives. And maybe that's some of us. But here's the thing. Maybe you thought being a Christian meant, I've got to be poor. I've got to give up my stuff, give away my things, sell my stuff, sacrifice these things that I think are important to me. Maybe for you, being a Christian means instead of being rich and successful, I have to be sort of poor. And it's hard to be a Christian living in first world problems, isn't it? But look at Lydia, okay? You know, Matthew, Jesus says this, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That might be true, but not a woman. In our passage today, And maybe not a man either. It may be hard. It's not impossible. Because Lydia was rich. She hears the gospel. God opens her heart. She responds. She believes. We're told she gets baptized. And we're told even her own family gets baptized. And what does she do after this? She doesn't go and sell all her possessions, give up the fashion industry, join a convent. No. What does she do? In our passage, Verse 15, she invites people into her house. In fact, in verse 15, we're told that the, the word is a lot stronger. After she was baptized, she urges us, come to my house. And Paul said, or, yeah, Luke says, she prevailed upon them. She invites Paul and his friends to her home. She insists, she argues that the wars are to have them in her home. In other words, she plays hostess. She shows hospitality. She shares the things that she has. She's taken all the blessings that she's gotten, big house and all, and she becomes a blessing to others. This, this is an amazing story. Think about this. Lydia is the first convert, as far as we know, to Christianity in all of Europe. And she opens her house. Her and her family open up to Paul and his friends, and that's it. Lydia's house, I think, Lydia's house becomes the place where the first church in Europe meets. This church, we know, is the church of Philippi. Met in Lydia's house. I think she was a leader in the church. That little woman's Bible study by the river becomes God's church in Philippi, all because a woman, not a pastor, not an elder, not even a man, but a woman who is successful and blessed in every way, decides to use her blessings for something more than just herself. And this isn't the last time we hear about this little church, because it grows And when you keep reading the New Testament, Paul writes a letter to this church. It's called the letter to the Philippians. And in chapter 1, in the very beginning of his letter, this is what he says, Philippians chapter 1, I thank God in all my remembrance of you and my prayer of mine for all of you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's remembering the church. He's writing to the church in Philippi. I remember you from the first day. What first day? Maybe the first day in Acts chapter 16. By that river, when he met Lydia, who came to the Lord, and she opened her house to them. Okay? Now, what made the difference for Lydia? She had everything she needed. She was pretty comfortable. I think there wasn't anything going wrong in her life. Why? What, what attracted her exactly? Did you know when Jesus died on the cross, you know the Bible says that they put a crown of thorns on his head and they put some garment on him. They clothed him and we're told they clothed him in purple. They were making fun of him. You're the king? You're the king? Here's some purple clothes. But on that cross, Jesus didn't look attractive. There was blood all over He was beaten, he was flogged. Isaiah said he was marred to the point of unrecognizable, being unrecognizable. There was nothing in his appearance. Physically speaking, when Jesus died on a cross, it was gross. It was ugly what they did to him. This king wrapped in purple clothes. But you see, for Lydia, who dealt with beautiful, expensive people, Uh, purple-dyed clothes, who dealt with rich and probably very attractive, very pretty people all the time. Lydia found nothing more beautiful or attractive, more rich, than the fact that the Son of God would give up his physical beauty and glorious splendor, that the King of Glory would give up his glory and his beauty for someone like her. And I believe that that is the message that this successful, God-fearing woman was drawn to. I think what Luke is trying to say here in this chapter is that it, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a poor or rich man or woman, conservative or liberal, pretty or ugly, good, or just messed up. Everybody needs this Jesus. And you see here in Luke, in Acts, here's a Jesus who's willing to meet everybody. The only question for you today is this. Do you not just believe, but are you attracted? Are you drawn to him? Do you see him and this message in all his beauty and say, I want that, and that could change my life? And so just like Paul, I would pray, just like for Lydia, that the Lord open your heart so that you might pay attention to what you have heard. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who... It's not only great and and wonderful and, and merciful and gracious and holy and righteous, but you do things and you use things in ways that sometimes are unexpected. You used a guy named Paul who used to persecute Christians and you turned him into one of the greatest missionaries in the world. And you used people who lived in a culture and society where it was very difficult for them to gain any kind of hearing, earn any kind of self-respect and to use people like that to do an amazing thing. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to remind ourselves, no matter where we are in our walk with you, that it's not us, but it's ultimately you and you can use those that you want to. Because you're a God who is not only powerful and strong enough, but you're gracious and merciful enough and you use people like us to continue to do the things you've done from the beginning. Lord, we pray that just like back then and even today, that you would continue to open our hearts so that we might see the wonder and the beauty, pay attention to, be drawn to, this person we know as Jesus Christ. Help us to know and to understand and help us to be open with all the blessings that you've given us to serving you by serving others and loving them like you've loved us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.